This week on Double-Edged Sword, we're airing an interview with Father Joshua Wirth on funeral liturgies, cremation, and souls in purgatory. Divine Mercy Radio's on-air host, Ken Billinger, conducts the interview. Without further ado, we will introduce Father Joshua Wirth. Uh, everybody knows him, and he's uh, well-known to our listeners. But for those who may not know, and uh, traveling down I-70, Father Joshua Wirth, instrumental in helping this radio station get off to uh, start, to get off the ground and running, and wrote KVDM's mission statement and began the Double-Edged Sword Show, which are very popular shows here. And so again, welcome to Father Joshua Wirth. An interesting topic, as always, that we'll talk about today, and that is... Today, going to talk about a little bit on death, all things about death, funeral liturgies, cremation, and the unfinished business of souls in purgatory. It'll be an interesting thing because yes. I, I have to share it. One morning, I was driving and I was trying to get the Catholic station, and because it's AM, they weren't on before sunup, so I didn't get it. But I was getting a station. It was a, a Christian station somewhere in the south, mm-hmm. and I'll never forget because it was just so funny. The guy on was saying, you know, obviously it was kind of an anti-Catholic sentiment that was related there, but he said. Uh, there's no such thing as purgatory. <laughs> <laughs> and I just, I still laugh because yeah. that's exactly how it sounded. So, mm-hmm. but we'll talk about some of those things. One of the right. most difficult aspects as a priest is conducting funeral liturgies. Obviously, there's um, the joyful things that happen, but it can be tough with funerals. And over the years, there have been many abuses of this liturgy. Can you tell us who this liturgy is for and what this liturgy is actually designed to do? Well, Protestant understanding is kind of pervading the uh, the rest of the culture as well. So a common thing that you hear is people say, funerals are for the living, not for the dead. So that comes from a misunderstanding of the afterlife and that there is no purgatory. You, of course, if there was no purgatory and people are in heaven or hell, then there's no reason to pray for anybody. So in that case, Protestants are kind of right. In their respect, since they don't believe in purgatory, that funerals are not for the dead person. Funerals are for the living people just to kind of exercise their you know, emotions and, and grief and things of that nature. But Catholics do not believe that. Catholics believe firmly that funerals are for the dead, for the deceased. And it's always very difficult, of course, to talk about because there's so much grief and stuff around that. But it's really a last-ditch last effort that the church makes on behalf of that deceased person to worship God and ask for his mercy. So we gather together, and, and the Catholic Church has a very kind of vicarious understanding of, of worship. You can actually do things for other people in, on behalf of them towards God. So, for instance, you know, we'll have people stand in as proxies for, say, godparents or something for baptism. And when a child is young, you can take that child's hand and you can help them make the sign of the cross or something with holy water. In the same way, after that person is deceased, the church gathers with the body and makes the sign of the cross on behalf of that, uh, that deceased person and has one last mass with that person's body in order to, to have one last intercession where you can ask the Lord to have mercy on them. And we're kind of doing it for them and with them. And if they could have one last mass, they would want to do that. And it really comes from, you know, people that mass is an integral part of their life. So, of course, even when they've died and they're just the body, they want to, we want to bring that body in and everybody worships on their behalf. We're really begging God for mercy one more time on their behalf. And it really came clear to me 
with the um, sending away liturgy at the, the final farewell and the, and the funeral liturgy where the incense comes out. Mm-hmm. You know, we bring the incense out and we incense the casket or the urn. And there's a special part where the priest will usually stop at the head of the casket and face towards the tabernacle and reverence the tabernacle with the incense. So you're really standing there in that person's place and saying, God, I love you. And you're doing it with the incense towards the tabernacle. So that incense represents their prayers. It represents their soul. It represents their worship towards God. And you're really doing this on behalf of them. If they could stand there and do their worship God in that moment, they would. They can't because they're deceased, so we do it for them. So it's really that last intercession between the people of God and the Lord saying, Lord, have mercy on this person. We're worshiping on their behalf. They're a sinner. We are asking for forgiveness on their behalf. We are attempting to lift them up to you where they lifted themselves up. They can no longer do that. Now we lift them up to you. So it's really too bad. You know, I was just, just last night, I caught a, uh, a strange little thing on TV where it was called Best Funeral Ever. And it just showed how, how far we've gone. It was some Californian, of course, California, but some Californian uh, funeral home. And they wanted to express that person's life as best they can in the funeral. So the guy was Olympic runner on this one and so they decided wouldn't it be great if we saw him run one more time across the track and they're like how are we going to do that so they strapped his casket i don't know if this is real or not i don't know if there's his body was in the casket or what you know it's hard to tell with reality tv but on the show they put his casket on a go-kart and then they ran it around the track one more time wow. so, so you know and everybody was cheering on yeah 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 but it really shows you that it's become less about the person who died and asking the Lord for forgiveness and to to gather him up and to bring his soul in, uh, closer to the Lord. It's really changed from that to just, you know, whatever God does with him, you know, we don't know. It, and in fact, we can't help. So what's the point? Let's just do something for us. Let's mm-hmm. do something that makes us feel better. Let's do something that make that makes a good memory and we can tell people about it and be a great story. And hey, remember uncle so-and-so and he really loved boxing and we had put him in that boxing ring, his casket for the funeral or whatever. And, and it really just becomes about the people showing up here where we really have to understand, especially Catholic understanding, but it comes from a long history, a long, long history of human beings praying on behalf of the deceased, asking the Lord for forgiveness. And of course, we saw that in um, the book of Maccabees in the in the Bible, which is where, you know, I watched 700 Club quite a bit and, and Pat Robertson, purgatory, that's just something the Catholic Church made up. That's what he says. And the lady says, yeah, it's not even in the Bible, is it? And he goes, no, of course it's not in the Bible. Well, it's not in the Bible because they took out the book that right. contains it. You know, Martin Maccabees. Luther took out the book of Maccabees that contains this story about how during a battle, many of the Jewish people died. And then when they opened up their shirts, they found a pagan idol symbol, you know, on a chain necklace around their neck. It was noticed that everybody who died had that. So they took that, I don't know if it was material or silver or something, and said, melt it down, send it to the temple, and have prayers said at the temple for their behalf. So you only have prayers said on behalf of the dead if there's something that those prayers can do. 
you know, if they're in hell, there's no need to pray for them. If there's in heaven, there's no need to pray for them. But if there's some kind of purgation process, if there's some process of cleansing that happens before we, you know, can enter into heaven, if there's some act of mercy, some additional graces that can be brought about, then that's the only reason that you would pray for the dead. So we see that even in the Bible, in the book of Maccabees, where you're praying, they're praying for the dead, that this extra mercy they're trying to get from the Lord on behalf of these people. So that's why it's so important to have these funeral liturgies for people where we had this last time where we ask the Lord with that body there, with the remains there, you know, they can't make the sign cross. We do it for them. They can no longer ask you for help. We do it on their behalf, just like you would a little child. Well, and I think the other argument that we hear from our Protestant brothers and sisters is that Christ died on the cross. So why would, you know, that's again, that's kind of that argument against purgatory as well. Or why would there mm-hmm. be that purging necessary? Because Christ already did it for and us. We, so that, and we <clears> believe <throat> that. We believe that. And it's just in the application that's different. We believe that Christ died once and for all, for everybody, for all sin. Okay. So when I create a new sin, Christ already knew that about that, and he died for that. What the difference is, have I taken that sin to the cross? Have I asked for forgiveness for it? Or I said, no, this is mine, and you, I'm not going to allow you to die for this one. I'm not going to allow you to shed your blood for this one. This one I'm going to keep for myself. So that's why the importance of the Mass. The Mass is when there's not a recreation, but a, a re presentation of the sacrifice of Calvary in an unbloody manner happens at every Mass where we bring our new sins to the Lord and say, Lord, the only thing that was missing from your sacrifice, you know, as St. Paul says, that really strange phrase is, you know, I'm making up in my body what was lacking in the sacrifice of Christ. Well, what was lacking in the sacrifice? You and me, we weren't there. We weren't able to add our souls to that sacrifice. So every time we have a new day, we have new falling away from the Lord or new you know, indifference to the Lord. Every Mass is a time where we can take ourselves and say, Lord, I want to add myself. I want to add myself to your cross. I want to add this sin of indifference or hatred or jealousy to the, your cross. And I want this to be part of your uh, what you died for as well. So it's it's true what they say that Jesus paid that final price for everybody. Ah, that's true. But sometimes we keep it for ourselves and we don't give it to him. And that's why the Mass is so important. So we go to Calvary, we go to the foot of his cross, and we say, Lord, for this too, for this too I ask forgiveness. Mm. And if we keep it for ourselves, then we'll, we'll be judged on it. But if we give it over to him, then, of course, he'll be forgiven. Well, of course, uh, talking with Father Joshua Worth today, and uh, it's uh, talking about uh, death, funeral liturgies, cremation, and the unfinished business of souls in purgatory. Father Joshua Worth, our guest today, talking about uh, death and funeral liturgies. And and this is an area that, you know, there's been, I think, some question on or some, you know, some uh, misunderstandings in some ways, because the early church used to say cremation was forbidden. And let's talk a little bit about cremation and, and the thought there. Yeah, well. it was uh, forbidden, but it was kind of a strange thing where it's like, it was kind of a solution in search of a problem. You know, church said cremation is forbidden. Everybody's like, well, we weren't, why would anybody ever do that? Right? Only the pagans do that. Only the atheists do that. Non-believers do that. So why would anybody even ask for that? So it was very much a non-issue in ancient things. The only things, you know, I even read 
in times of uh, Saint Cecilia, it was it was forbidden in the Roman Empire for Christians to bury their dead. They had to be cremated or they had to do these different things, and so that's why it was often forbidden. Is because this is what the pagans make you do, or this is what the atheists make you do, this is what the non-believers make you do. Mostly throughout uh, all of Christian history, what have we wanted to do the most? We wanted to imitate the death and resurrection of Christ as close as we can. So Jesus was buried, and they were going to give him embalmment, spices, anointings, but he rose from the dead before they could do that. They came the next day to do that. So everybody said, hey, that's good enough for Jesus, then that's good enough for me. If he was buried and rose from the dead, then I too want to be buried and raised from the dead. So for the most part, throughout Catholic history, Christian history, everybody said, no, I don't want to be cremated. I want to have my death, my burial, and my resurrection be closely to Christ as possible. So it's only been recent times where people have desired to be cremated. And there are some prudent reasons that you could do that. You know, if somebody is badly burned or something in a car wreck or disfigured by some kind of accident stuff where it would be very disturbing to people to have to deal with the remains or um, have to bury them, then you, it's prudent that the uh, remains be cremated. But again, the most preferred way throughout time has always been that they just be embalmed and then casket and a burial because we've always wanted to try to imitate the death and burial of Christ as best we can in our own body. Just like we want to raise with him, so too we often say, if I want to be raised just like he is, I want to be buried just like he is. We want to be imitated as close as possible. It'd be kind of like today if I said, you know, if the church said, um, we're going to forbid people uh, throwing their loved ones' deceased bodies to the wild animals. And everybody would say, well, we weren't planning on doing that anyway. Who would want to do that? But 100 years from now, you know, there might be some new fad or something coming along where all the hippies are saying, hey, that's the most natural thing to do. Just throw your beloved deads to the animals, and then they're part of the food chain, and they're going to live forever, and that animal, that lion or dog or whatever, they ate them. Wouldn't that be a great thing? And, again, that was kind of like what the church was saying. It was forbidding something that nobody wanted to do, no Christian wanted to do, because that's what the pagans did. That's what atheists did. And now it's become less a statement against the church and more of a statement of prudence that maybe it'd be best to have your remains cremated. But that's the only reason why it was forbidden to pass is because of its association with people that were against Christ and didn't want to be resurrected like he was. And I, and from what I understand, too, some people now look at that option simply because it's a more affordable alternative as well. That's one of the things that has been seen as a a solution to a problem. But, you know, we have to be very careful that when we're trying to solve a problem with cremation, that we're not creating more problems with that. So Father Fred had a really good thing in his bulletin the other day, and he talked about, you know, all these news stories about cremated remains and how they've been abused. Or And, and some of the examples he had was, I know one personally was, when I was up in Chicago, somebody ran out into uh, a soldier field or something where the Bears player and spread his 
friend's ashes all over the field because he loved the Bears so much and he wanted to be there forever. And that's that yeah. was his church. That was his that was his home. So his friend asked him to do that. And so of course he's gonna he's gonna obey his friend's wishes. And, and but some of the other ones that Father Fred mentioned in his little bulletin blurb was news stories about guys taking the ashes and putting in a marijuana patch because they were all you know working together to grow this marijuana patch wouldn't that be great i think the funniest one was guy wanted to go hunting (laughs) one last time with his buddy so he loaded his guy's ashes into shotgun shells that he created and so he can go shooting with him and hunting with him one more time wow (laughs) so you have to wonder sometimes you know if he shot a if he shot a dove or something with that um, shell, and then he, he's eating it later, and you get little BBs out and stuff. And you go, oh, I wonder what else is in here. You, know? <laughs> you kind, of have to, kind of have to wonder too. But so, just all the crazy problems that have come from that, the church has said in her wisdom. Church has said, you know what? Sometimes it is prudent to cremate, uh, to have a cremation. But you know what? If you're going to do that. You have to do it with the right intention. The intention has to be that you're going to treat the cremated remains just as you would a body in a casket. Sure. You can't have it any different. You can't separate them. You can't mix them. You can't divide them. You can't put them in a piece of jewelry that some people do, a necklace or a ring that's so you're always carrying that person around. That needs to be buried somewhere. It can't be on a, a wall or a desk or, or a mantle somewhere in somebody's house. And we're seeing, I'm seeing personally, from cremation, a theological problem come out, and that's the problem of dealing with grief and closure. And so I recommend to people, and the church is recommending to people, that if you do decide that it's, it's best to be cremated, that you have some kind of public viewing of the body first, you know, if that's possible, again. So that, especially for young kids, because young kids, they just hear that, Grandma and grandpa is sick, and then they go to the hospital, and then they die at the hospital. And if they're cremated, then that's all they ever know is that they kind of went away on a trip and they never came back. Mm-hmm. But if you can ex- show them the body, explain to them that their soul is gone and is gone with God, and that their body's here, and we're going to hope that we're going to bury the body and it's going to raise one day. Jesus is going to raise it. It's important that kids, as strange as this might sound, it's important that kids see a dead body, a real one, in person, and have that explained to them. Because you don't want the only dead people they ever see to be on cartoons and TV shows and movies where they see an actor get killed, but they show up on another show. And they see a cartoon character or a video game person die, but they respawn and, and they play another life on there. Mm-hmm. They see it as that type of reincarnation type thing happening that happens in movies, and they're going to get really... A warped understanding. So it's important that they see the body and that after that public viewing, then you can have a cremation and a burial if possible. But the important thing is that it be treated the exact same way that we would treat it, a body in a casket so that we don't have these abuses. And again, another, another thing that people have thought, this is going to fix a problem is divorce and remarriage, but not even divorce and remarriage. Say somebody's wife dies. And then they, he had children with that wife. She dies. And then he goes on to marry somebody else, has another family. Okay. And maybe those two families don't get along. Then he dies. So there's a squabbling amongst the family. So they, the father will sometimes think, you know what? I'm, you know, I'm going to solve this problem. I'm just going to get cremated. Then you can get half the ashes and then you can get half yeah. the ashes. And you can have your own funeral service and you can have your own, fir- and you can bury me in your hometown and you can bury me in your hometown. 
But that creates so much more problems because if we do that twice, we're going to do that three times, or we're going to do that four times, or we're going to do it five. You know, where is the time where we say, listen, we can't do this anymore? You know, he's buried in five different places across the state or the country. And it really, you know, a funeral should be a time where those families come together and work out their differences and say, you know what? We need to reconcile. We need to reconcile. And instead, it creates a new problem where they never have to reconcile because we all get a little piece of him and we all can treat him the way that we think he should be treated. And if I have disrespect for him, then I can disrespect my ashes that you gave me. If I have great devotion and love for him, then I can do this. So cremation is often thought of as a solution to a problem, but it's created a whole mess of other problems that the church hasn't anticipated and many priests don't know about and many priests don't don't know what to do about it because it happens in the funeral, in the grief, and you don't really want to correct somebody in that moment, you know. And so the best, the best is to get a message out beforehand saying, listen, this is the che- teaching of the church. Please give it to your loved ones. Let them know what the teaching of the church is, that, that even if you're cremated, that it will not, you know, your body your remains aren't going to be treated any different than it would a body in a casket. Mm-hmm. And so that that's their final wishes because oftentimes family members are torn because their their loved ones final wishes was that I'd be cremated and and scattered somewhere and they say but now I know that's against the faith so what do I do do I honor their wishes or and go against the faith or do I stay with the faith and dishonor their wishes so the most important thing is to get that message out to people before they pass away. Sure. All right. Talking with Father Joshua Worth. We need to take a short break right now, but don't change that dial. We'll be right back with more from Father Joshua Worth on the Funeral Mass, Cremation, and Souls in Purgatory. We're back with Double-Edged Sword Cutting to the Heart of a Deceptive Culture on Divine Mercy Radio with Father Joshua Wirth. Funeral liturgies, cremation, and souls in purgatory. Ken Billinger conducts the interview. Having an interesting conversation, talking, again, about the death, funeral liturgies, cremation, and the unfinished business of souls in purgatory. We continue with Father Joshua Wirth, who is a, a pastor at Sacred Heart of Par- Parish Plainville, Sacred Heart Parish of Plainville, and also St. Thomas Parish in Stockton. We're talking about cremation, which, again, has been, been an issue. We talk about the... You, touched on the abuse that can happen things uh, it's kind of amazing a church in her infinite wisdom that's an issue that's been addressed there's been so many other things and even some things that previous you know pontiffs have talked about that Mm -hmm. we see are coming into fruition today that you know those things that really were prophesied in a sense uh, years ago Mm -hmm. and so important to understand that but the other question that comes about is, okay, so somebody does get cremated, so does that mean we still need to have a funeral mass? Talk on that a little bit. Yes, definitely. We need to have a funeral mass. And uh, I just saw a statement from a bishop. I forget which bishop it was, but he was you know, a little dismayed that he was seeing more and more people dying in the newspaper, you know, obituaries, but no, no funeral mass was scheduled for them. And I've, I've had some people request that as well. 
that um, you know they're Catholic and that they want to be cremated and no funeral mass and they just want to be buried. And No, it's important that we have a funeral mass. I suspect what this is coming from is, again, a lack of understanding that this is our final intercession that we have for somebody on behalf of them. So we can do that if they're in a body in a casket. We can do that if they're ashes in an urn. But we can also even have a memorial mass for them and, or you can procure a intention for a mass. You can have that intention when you go to you know, All Souls Day Mass on November 2nd. You can have their intention in mind when you go to kind of a non-obligatory daily Mass or something. You can say, you know, Lord, I want all the graces from this Mass to go towards my loved one. And God applies that, you know, outside of time. You know, he's not limited that, well, person already died and that was years ago, so it doesn't really matter. No, it God can send that to that person when they needed it in time, maybe even purgatory, maybe before. He can send it back before they even died. And maybe that mass that you have said, that graces will go back to them before they finally died. And, you know, outside of time, God can do anything. I know a priest, or I read about a priest that read this, you know, story about the Civil War and how horrible it was the Battle of Gettysburg and, and young men dying. And so he would pray for those men on that battlefield, not the, that they've died, but that God would send them graces there while they were dying on that battlefield. Mm. And God, being outside of time, of course, can do that. He hears that prayer in, you know, in the future, and he applies it where it's needed, and none of that grace is wasted. Even if we would pray for somebody that is already in heaven, you know, he applies that where it's needed. Somebody that's in hell, he applies that where it's needed. And he might give them that extra bit of grace, you know, back in time. You know, it's so mysterious to be outside of time that we, you know, we can't understand it at all. But, no, it's important to have that funeral mass. And it's important to realize even if we can't be there, you know, a lot of things now, being across country, being across the seas, even if we can't be there, it's not our participation in the funeral that makes it the funeral. It's... The, the sacrifice of the mass that makes it the funeral on behalf of this deceased person that makes it the funeral. So, and that's where it's a, it's applied. That's where the graces are applied to their soul so that they can they can have a merciful judgment in that last intercession that we have, have for them. So yes, very much funeral mass for every Catholic, one, one funeral mass for every Catholic. It's interesting because you talk on a topic there that it is tough for us to understand because we look at the clock and say it's 1234 mm-hmm. and God is outside of time. And, and that's mm-hmm. something that is, you know, we've I've heard that over and over again, but it's still just hard for us in our human mind to mm-hmm. really conceptualize. Right. And I think that's an excellent point that you make with that because we've heard about that before, too. God is outside of time. And so mm-hmm. we, we don't always think in those terms because we're always looking at the clock in our world. So right, right. In many wake services and funerals, the deceased is made out to be a saint. Explain to us basically what happens if, in other words, somebody passes away. Mm-hmm. Ex- explain what happens when the soul leaves the body. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, I think a lot of funerals and wake services, you know, the people are made out to be a saint because, mostly because the priest or the minister, a lot of the Protestant stuff has crept over into the Catholic stuff. And a lot of Protestant stuff is what you see on TV. So a lot of people say, I want to hear a sermon like I saw on TV. And on TV, they just said, we know he's in heaven. We know it. And man, God saved him. And boy, isn't that great. So we see that on TV and we say, I want to see that in my 
regular life and my real life. And so Protestant ministers tend to, since they're, they tend to try to tailor their things so that people will choose them. And then Catholics try to want to be pleasing as well. So Catholic priests want to make sure that people are saying, oh, man, I wish we would They don't want them to say, oh, I wish we had Father so-and-so instead. You know, they want, they want people to say, oh, we got the right priest for this. And so there's a tendency to, to tend to uh, whitewash things. But what happens when someone dies is that their soul leaves the body. And, again, they're outside of time. So we don't know how, how this works. And we don't even know, you know, before they die, the conversations that God might have with them before, you know, the moment of death. We don't even, we don't know any of that as well. So the only thing that we can do is, is trust in, in Christ's promises, that they're going to go in front of a judgment. And that judgment, we don't know when that is. Is it before the funeral? Is it after the funeral? You know, when is it? Who knows? But they go before the Lord and he judges them and then they go to maybe they go straight to heaven they go to purgatory or they're lost so that's what we usually call the four last things death heaven hell and purgatory you know those that's the four things that everybody four different things that everybody's going to have to deal with at the end there so that's what happens to the soul so the soul could get judged that the Lord says you've led a good life you believed and you want heaven. I think that's the, the biggest thing is that we have a real strict teaching on, on mortal sins and venial sins. But I think there's another way to describe judgment. Jesus uses all these, all these metaphors as if to try to get our imagination going, what, what the judgment might look like. He says, you know, it's like sheep and goats. It's like ten virgins. It's like this. It, you know, he mentions all these different things that could be the kingdom of God and the judgment could be like. I tend to think that the, the judgment is going to be God saying, come on in. Here's heaven. Come on in. Just come on in. I love you. Please come in there. And we look kind of look past them. We go, mm, you know, I see you guys uh, pray over there a lot. It, what's up with that? And God said, yeah, we worship and we pray forever. And we say, well, you know, I tried to, I tried to avoid prayer and worship during my life. You know, I like going on when it was convenient for me. And, you know, I had my own type of thing. And I just don't think I'm going to be comfortable being in heaven where all that's going on. And God says, well, come on in. Please come in. He goes, and we look past him. Oh, it looks like you guys got a lot of um, charity over there. Yeah, it's eternal charity and eternal chastity and eternal prayer and forgiveness. And, yeah, I try to avoid those things during my life. Is there anywhere else I can go? So I tend to think that maybe purgatory is when we really want to go there, but there's those things holding us back. And, and God, we're saying, oh God, I just can't, I'm not ready. I need to be cleansed of some of these things. I need to be purified of some of these things because I still got selfishness in me and I see there's no selfishness over there. And if I take my selfishness in there, I'm going to be unhappy. So that's where the Lord has us go to purgatory to cleanse us and, and purify us. And that's where we need continual prayers at because I mentioned in one of my double-edged sword shows that um, that there's unfinished business with the uh, souls in purgatory and that is they still need our help. They can't pray for themselves. Souls in purgatory can't pray for themselves. We can pray for ourselves here on earth even though it's kind of a selfish act. You know, if you're praying for going, Lord help me. That's kind of a selfish act. But you can do it because you have something to sacrifice. Time. If you're taking 
time out of your day, out of your finite time during your life to ask the Lord for help, you're giving him just that small sacrifice of time and he can answer that prayer. But if you're in purgatory and time is endless and you're outside of time, you say, okay, now, now God, I could use your help. He says, oh, sure. When you're outside of time and things are timeless, now you found time for to ask me. You have nothing left to sacrifice. They can pray for each other. They can pray for us. But because those aren't selfish acts, they can't pray for themselves. So they need sometimes our help and they need our help. Maybe they need our help to have a mass procured for us, a mass intention, just say an Our Father for them, some kind of forgiveness needs to happen so they can go up into heaven that they need to know that you forgave them. Of course, if you pray for them, then obviously they know that that you've forgiven them. If you get a a mass intention for them, then obviously they know that you've forgiven them. But sometimes they need that extra push from us because they can't pray for themselves. They can't get past it. They can't say an Our Father for themselves. They can't say Hail Mary for themselves. They can't say a Mass for themselves because they're outside of time and it's just ultimately they have nothing left to sacrifice. We can sacrifice. We can sacrifice time. We can sacrifice things on their behalf. Again, it's that, it's that vicarious intercession that we can do for people. So that's why it's so important to have that funeral and even after a funeral, continue to pray for people because that funeral might have got them the grace they needed before they died so that they chose purgatory. When God offered them heaven, they said, I love heaven, but I'm not ready to go there. I choose purgatory. They chose purgatory, and now they need something to get through those different levels there, however that looks like. There's a famous story of a guy who prompt, you know, made a priest promise, say a mass for me when I die. And the priest heard that the guy died. He wasn't even doing the funeral. So he said a mass you know, with the intention for that guy. Suddenly that soul appeared in front of him and said, what took you so long? And he goes, what? It was only an hour after you died that I that I said the mass. He goes, an hour in purgatory. If only you knew what you were saying, an hour in purgatory. That's, that's a, you know, it was a lifetime to him. So it's hard to tell what that is in purgatory that, I mean, again, being outside of time, that of how that all works out. I mean, the Lord, of course, works out the way that he wills it. But um, so we must always, always, kind of like Abraham, always saying, Lord, what if we find these many people? What about what about your people? You don't want to do, lose your people now. What will people say? And we're, he's always interceding for the people of God and for their sins. And we need to do that as well for our loved ones who have died, even after the funeral. All right. Talking with Father Joshua Worth this afternoon, talking about a number of things related to death, funeral liturgies and cremation. And the other thing I think when we when we hear these, you know, the different things talked about and uh, made out, maybe made out to be a saint in, in some cases, too. And a lot of times we say, oh, they're in heaven or they're in a better place. And sometimes that. That uh, that term kind of drives me a little bit crazy, mm-hmm. too. But is that, you know, I think it kind of goes back to more for the living, making us feel better right. about, would you would that be accurate and an right. accurate way to look at that? I mean, we don't, we want to comfort people, of course, when they're hurting. And so we want to say something reassuring. So, you know, we, we fall back on these platitudes, of course. You know, I tend to say that they are closer to God than they've ever been before. That, that could be true if they're in heaven or if they're in hell. That They're closer to God than they've ever been before. Mm. And even if they haven't even faced their judgment yet, they're closer to God than they've ever been before. Sure. You know, So I tend, to, I tend to use that one. But it's so difficult to find those words to help those that are grieving because we have to use the same ones that Jesus said. So we've been using the same ones for 2,000 years. So, so people tend to think, oh, you know, I need something 
more. I need something more. So then you find, you know, a lot of books out now or stories or even people turn to psychics or, oh, isn't it great? They reassured me that, yes, they're on the other side. Yes, they're on the and it really, uh, you know, angered me one time. I heard some of my family members saying, oh, isn't this great? The psychic is really helping people. And that's what you often hear people say. Yeah, but they really helped me. They really helped me in getting in touch with that loved one. And I know that they forgive me and I for- my loved one knows I forgive them. It helped me with my grieving and stuff. The problem is the words of our Lord should be enough when he says, gone to prepare a place for you. Why would I say I'm going I'm coming back for you if it wasn't going to be true. And you you know, you've seen me, you've seen the Father. So all those great words that he's said to us, those should be our great comfort. You know, the great words of St. Paul and St. John and all those, those should be our comfort. And those should be our great comfort. But instead, we always got to find new ways. I think um, C.S. Lewis wrote it best in his, his screw tape letters. Mm-hmm. The demons said, the demon once to the other said, work on their hatred of the same old thing. Same, we always hate to hear the same old thing. So we want something new. We want something new for our funeral. We want something new for our wedding. We want something new for our baptism. We want some kind of new words when our loved one dies to comfort us. You know, we hate to hear that same old thing that Jesus said to Mary when Lazarus died. That, Don't you believe that I am the resurrection and truth and the life, that, that all this is in my power? It seems so trite when we bring that to people who are really hurting and really we want to comfort them so much that we often step beyond the words of Christ and we say, I assure you, he's in heaven, yes. And we say that reservedly when really that's a really injustice to that soul because if you reassure somebody that their loved one's in heaven, that they're a saint and they're in heaven, well, then that person's not going to pray for them. And they could really use those prayers. Mm-hmm. You know, We don't know. They could That grace could be applied to before they die. That grace could be applied to their life. That grace could be applied to them in purgatory and get them past a really difficult obstacle that they need to be purged of before they can enter into the kingdom of heaven. And when we tell people, no, there's nothing to worry about. Don't trouble your heart and just you know pretend that we know that they're in heaven when we don't know that. And we move beyond the words of Christ. We really do an injustice to those that have died. I think that was the one that probably strikes me the most and and maybe it's and maybe it's a selfish thing on my part it just kind of it's almost an irritating thing to hear that he's in a better place yeah they're in a better place i i just i don't know what it is about that but but they're obviously you know those are things that and and many times it is i think people are at a loss for words so that's just what they say right Uh, many times that happens we've got father joshua worth for a few more minutes here this afternoon talking about death funeral liturgies cremation and the unfinished business of souls and purgatory let's talk a little and this is a subject that's kind of a tough thing and it's obviously tough for families to deal with well when you get into a situation of, of deceased that committed suicide talk mm. talk on that just a little bit yeah of course for the invention of psychology many people know and sometimes they still think that somebody that committed suicide can't have a, a catholic funeral or a catholic burial which isn't true anymore because psychology taught us something new that that people did not know before and that is that somebody could do something to themselves and they did it but it was against their own will you know it was against it wasn't even their choice so it was assumed before psychology that if somebody did something that that was their choice but now we know that somebody can actually do something to themselves against their own choice and the greatest example i always use is 911 you know a lot of people woke up that day 
and they went to work and they didn't know that they would be uh, jumping out of a building later that day. Now, did they hate life and want to commit suicide or did they choose jumping out of there instead of the fire? So it's not that they wanted to die, it's that they didn't want to be burned in the fire. You see that? So they didn't want to die, but it hurt too much to be in that fire, okay? So some people got that fire in their minds or whatever it is. And they, they don't want to die, but they it's too painful to be in that place that they're in. So they can actually choose to do something that's against that wasn't even their choice. But they still need a funeral, Catholic Mass. They need, still need a funeral Mass. Not only that, but everybody, all Catholics need a funeral Mass. I mean, whether they're a murderer, whether they're a drunk, whether they are a rapist, whether they are a drug addict, whether they are all these things, they all need that last intercession where the people come and say, we do this on your behalf. They need those prayers. You know, there's a special prayer in um, some of the Eucharistic prayers that says, Lord, we pray for those whose faith is known to you alone. You know, that person that got baptized and never darkened the door of a church again, that person that who knows personal hell they were going through, but they maybe had a faith that only God knew. And so we say, Lord, we're doing this on their behalf. They weren't able to do it during their life. So we're going to have this and do this intercession for them. And I'm always reminded of that. I think you remember that horrible tragedy where a guy burst into an Amish schoolhouse and, and killed those young girls. And they had a funeral for that guy. I don't think he was Catholic, but they had a funeral for that guy. And then Amish arrived there because they wanted to show their forgiveness to the family and to that person. Mm -hmm. So to deny anybody a Catholic funeral, unless they're the most grievous enemies of the church, that they, they are persecutor of the church and they they try to destroy the church or they publicly, you know, be a real scandal to give them a, a funeral. But anybody who died, regardless of the circumstances, gets a funeral. And sometimes it's for not only for that soul, but so that people can come and have closure, maybe the closure of forgiveness. So they can say, Lord, I forgive this person, and I want you to forgive this person when they face you for judgment. And that's why it's so important to have funerals for everybody, because, you know, especially in case of suicide, it might, might not have been their choice, even though it was their own action, it might not have been their choice. Sure. All right. That, uh, great to clear that up a little bit because I know there's people that always have had questions about that. And so mm -hmm. any other things we didn't touch on as far as, uh, you know, we appreciate your time coming in. Anything else that you wanted to touch on that we didn't hit or as far as this, this topic is concerned? Or? No, I don't think so. But uh, we can say a quick prayer for our souls in purgatory. Absolutely. We, we didn't do, do the prayer so we can at least do it to, to wrap up this. We afternoon. can do it. Yeah, yeah. sure. Okay. Why don't we do that? In the name of the Father and Son, Holy Spirit, amen. amen. Eternal Father, I offer thee the most precious blood of thy divine Son, Jesus, in union with the masses said throughout the world today, for all the holy souls in purgatory, for sinners everywhere, for sinners in the universal church, those in my own home and within my family. Amen. Amen. In the name of the Father and Son, so Holy, holy Spirit, Spirit. Amen. amen. Thanks for tuning in to this week's Double-Edged Sword, cutting to the heart of a deceptive culture. You're listening to Divine Mercy Radio, 101.7 KJDM, Lindsborg, Salina, 105.7 KJDM, Hayes, 88.1 KRTT, Great Bend, and 88.1 KVDM, Hayes. If today you hear his voice, harden not your hearts.